Welcome to the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Hudock, where we have fun talking about the phenomenal and the fascinating. From angels to energy healing, from mystical places to mystical teachings, this is a place where we nerd out on the science of the soul. Welcome to another episode of the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Hudock, and my guest today is Kelly Schwegel. She's the author of the book, The Art of Inner Alchemy, Understanding the Purpose of This Life and Your Growth Within It. We start off our talk today with her sharing her very unique entree into the world of healing arts, when after working as a specialist and leader in the field of education for over 20 years, she is literally called by spirit to drop everything and change course. In this episode, we cover such topics as learning how to act on our messages and trust in spirit's guidance, the criteria necessary to really activate one's own inner alchemy, the specific levels involved in soul development, how the pineal gland acts like a satellite, and the difference between clairvoyance and thought. You'll also learn about the stages of alchemy as it relates to healing, how we are all collectively and individually evolving out of the ego, and the power of belief in service to creating the perfect blueprint for health. As always, I hope that each and every episode serves you well and ignites your journey on this road of life. Kelly Schwagel, what a joy to have you on the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Let's, uh, let's jump into this meaty stew here. And I want to just comment at the beginning of your wonderful book, The Art of Inner Alchemy, you really talk about learning the lesson to act on our messages, the messages we get from the divine. And if we don't listen um, and move move on our own, then the universe will inevitably move for you. And I think that um, is very emblematic, I would say, certainly of your life, or at least your entree into being a holistic practitioner. And would you say, just so we can get a context of the sort of beginnings of your, your entry into the, the realm of healing, was that seminal moment for you when you were in meditation, say, I think it was in 2012, and you were doing something completely different, and yet you were sitting in this meditation and spirit said, yeah, that's nice. You're going to be doing this healing work and everything that you've done degree wise, everything you've worked for for decades, that's going to go by the wayside. Get ready. Here we go. Was that the seminal moment for you or was there something else? It absolutely was. I was not planning to leave my, my work. I was actually working at the state level in education as an educational trainer and developer. And I was, you know, I was Miss Hotshot. You know, I was keynote speaking everywhere. I had a great team and making great money. I had my house on the lake. You know, everything was great. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting, but 
my clairvoyance was getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Sitting in this meditation, you know, what you said, I was in Mount Shasta and I heard them say, you know, you're going to leave everything. And literally, I was like, I am not. <laughs> they're like, yes, you are. I'm like, I am not. I'm like, what, you, what, what am I going to do? And they're like, you're going to do Reiki. I'm like, Reiki? They don't make any money. <laughs> and they're like, no, you are. They're like, Kelly, how do you feel when you do Reiki? I'm like, they're like, how do you feel when you do your work? Oh. Mm-hmm. And they're like, <clears throat> okay, you're leaving. And I actually knew at that point too that I, I don't question their guidance. If they tell me to go, I go. Mm-hmm. And I literally do. I've been all over this world because they have told me to. Mm. So yeah, I love Definitely the moment. Yeah. yeah. Powerful. Um, I love that that little bit you talk about in the beginning of your book where you go into your neighbors, you have the keys to your neighbor's house. How nice of him, by the way. And uh, you have that Johnny world moment where you go into Johnny's house and you just go like a beeline straight to this book, this alchemy book. I think it was Dennis Hawk's book, if I'm correct. Um, And uh, the the author of the Emerald Tablet and some other. Right. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Great alchemy. Emerald Tablet is amazing. Amazing. So you pick up this alchemy workbook and you just start writing down ferociously all this stuff and you bend space and time and you come back to your uh, home next door, your friend staying with you. And she's like, what is up? You look like you've seen a ghost and it's only been 30 minutes. And you're like, hold on a minute. I think I was there for five hours. And, and, uh, and yet you, you got all this information. What did you, is that the information that you use to write the art of inner alchemy? It was. And it, it was after that moment that I really realized they told me in that experience that I would be writing a book. So after I absorbed all of the alchemy that I, I didn't know about alchemy before that, I absorbed that book and wrote a, I think it was like a 30 some PowerPoint slide on it. And then after that, I sat there and I started crying because mm-hmm. I really realized that this has been my life. And I started a life review and I'm watching this and I'm like, oh my God. And then they said, and you're going to write a book. I'm like, I'm not writing a book. They're like, yes, you are. I'm like, oh, oh my God. And I don't know if I put this in the book, but Carol sent me while I'm over there, my friend who's back at my place yeah. sent me an email um, on a publishing experience in, in Maui. And I, I'm like, She's like, I tried three times not to send you that. Actually, I'm going to say it like Carol, because she's Southern. I tried three times not to send that to you. And, <laughs> and she, she ended up sending it, and I went. And mm-hmm. I left everything. I gave away all my possessions and went on the road and, and wrote The Art of Inner Alchemy. That's powerful. And that is such a great, just whole hog in it display of commitment to self and faith and trust. Faith really is what's coming forward for me. You just go, I'm going to listen and I'm going to go and I'm just going to follow that thread and let go and let go of all attachments that are keeping you kind of bound to this old tree of life that, you know, those don't support you anymore. No. And there are two things that were really significant when I left. Like one of them, I was walking out the the door and I was passing a mirror and my guide said, go look in the mirror. 
And when I say guides, I'm not saying guys, like I don't have a group of men, it's spirit guides. So when I, when my guides had said to me, you know, go, go look in the mirror. And I was like, okay. And they said, look in your eyes. And they said, you will end up saying things that people will not agree with. Mm-hmm. You will say some controversial things. Can you handle that? And I just looked at them and I, I was just like, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other, and I walked out and, and the other significant thing was in giving away all of my possessions, I literally went down to a little backpack and a little suitcase. I had one pair of shorts, one sweatshirt, one pair of jeans. That's literally what I lived on. And I went to an island in Belize and sat for 22 days and wrote. That's awesome. Yeah. That's I was the only one on the island, by the way, with a pig named Piggy, 120 pound pig. <laughs> how did you get to, okay, I got to ask, how did you get to an island where you were the only person on it? Um, it was, uh, it had one place to live. It had a little shack. It's a little white shack. And there was literally nothing else on the island. And it had a dock and it was just a little, it's called Virginia Key, um, C-A-Y-E, Virginia Key. And it, it, you can rent the island and that one little shack for like $37 a day. <laughs> out. It was crazy. I was purely alone. Uh, what did you eat? Like, I was allowed, yeah, I was allowed to bring along um, food and which promptly ran out. And then I was living on rice and beans. And I had this experience where I saw this man in this like wooden canoe. And I'm like, wow, isn't that cool? You know, so old and, you know, wow, I didn't know people did that anymore. And he comes up to my island and I'm like, oh, oh. And he said, um, I'm thinking he's going to say something profound. And he's like, can you charge my iPad? And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I can, I can do that. And I, I, I charged his iPad throughout the day because I had solar. And he came back at the end of the day and he brought me, um, it was uh, barracuda steaks. And I was like, these are the best things on the planet because I was eating something other than rice and beans. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> ah, divine. Well, you know, I believe that, we will find eventually, if we're, we all care to seek it at, uh, at least, um, our guides, that we all have guides, a brilliant divine committee. And yes. they're at our disposal. They're at our becking call if we so choose to ask them to come forward and let them in. Curious, if you feel comfortable, who is your team? Well, when I was young, it was different than it is now. And when I was young, it was my grandmother, Genevieve, and, uh, and there's a long story with all that, but uh, I listened to her up until the time I was about 40. And she was so funny. She was very strict and she would scold me when I needed. And, you know, she would tell me how it is. And it was pretty funny, but she gave me a lot of guidance. When I was about 40, I went through a really big transformation within myself. And suddenly she was gone. And this group or this team came in, there were about 21 of them, and they would step in at different times, and they would teach me different things. And when I started working with clients, they would step in based on what the client needed. And then it kind of shifted again. And I really feel nothing now other than uh, collective intelligence, which is who I listen to now, which I can't distinguish any of them anymore. 
Mm. It's just like one voice and it's, it's pretty incredible. And I think that they will transition in and out based on what you need. Beautiful. Well, let's shift gears a bit into this whole subject of inner alchemy, which is at the heart of your work, certainly at the heart of my work to a great degree. So I'm curious, and this may be a bit of a meaty starter question, but nonetheless, what is the criteria necessary for one to activate one's own inner alchemy? Honestly, the first step is you have to be ready for it. And I really believe that we, and I've been told from my guides that we are actually learning about all of the stages of alchemy all at once, all the time, Mm. but you're not conscious of it until you're really ready for that. And when you are ready, it, it is, it's been explained to me that it's based on the age of your soul. When your soul has gone through enough experiences, enough lifetimes, the, the yin and the yang of everything, you're ready to start to unveil is the best way to put it, that you're really ready to understand that this life is not about what you think. It's not about what you do. It's not about, you know, how much you make. It's not about being in service. It's about understanding the purpose of your personal growth, because your personal growth is always in service to everyone. Yeah, beautifully said. So what does it mean to you to alchemize the soul as a whole? Mm -hmm. It means that you're ready to go through some really profound lessons that have to do with being awakened, however you want to define that. I define awakened meaning you understand that this life, you are a soul having a human experience. And when you can understand that, your alchemizing means that you're bringing yourself into a more pure state. You become wise. Uh, You become radiant. You become authentic. You're the calm amongst the storm. And I will say that a lot of people think that involvement means sitting on top of a mountain chanting, oh, well, that's easy. Right. It's not easy to be the calm amongst all the chaos of life. Right. To be in the contrast and be elevated above it. Right. Yeah. Right. Elevate ourselves to bring heaven down to earth amongst all the contrast. I'm with you on that wholeheartedly. Well, let's Mm -hmm. talk about the levels of overall soul development. And I'm just going to read through these for the audience so they can hear them, because I I think they're really poignant and um, have you comment on them. So I'm just going to read from your book here, page 38. And it, it says, your soul continuously becomes more wise and expansive as you learn through the different experiences of your conscious energy. Earth existence is at level three, moving toward level four. Since everything consists of mathematics in the form of creation, movement, electricity, and magnetism, there are many levels of embodiment that you will go through to be at your most expanded, wise, conscious level. These levels of soul development outline the progression of that conscious learning. So real quick here. Earth is at level three going to four. Level one is creation of your soul. Level two is living physically through instinct. Level three is living physically under the control of the ego, where you can see that really playing out on earth. Level four, living physically with a tamed ego. Level five, 
soul experience as balanced, wise, unconditional love. Level six, gaining understanding of the universal laws and functions of nature and existence. Level seven, physically experiencing the different movements of a vortex. Level eight, existing physically as a planet, ocean, plant kingdom, etc. Level nine, embodying a solar system. Level 10, embodying a universe. Level 11, embodying above and below together, planet and source, heaven and earth. And finally, level 12, embodying all that is. I have a few questions around this. First of all, is this, is this, um, was this downloaded to you or is this Dennis Hawk's work or something else? You know, I've heard some of this before, but I'll tell you how I ended up learning about it. I had actually an experience where for about three days, I was learning sacred geometry in my mind's eye. And it, it started with just a spiral and I would see it and it would highlight in yellow. And I'd even hear in my brain this sound and they would say, do you understand? And I, the first time they did it, I was like, what? Mm. And then I realized I do understand. I know exactly what you're trying to teach me. And even though I couldn't articulate it and that went on for like three days and it was the understanding of mathematics. It was the understanding of the platonic solids. It was the understanding of, of, of quantumly how the universe works. And these, this information ended up coming through, but I did find somebody else had written about this. But, and I don't remember who it was, but I can tell you that those who are authentic in listening and really get out of the head and listen, we all bring in the same stuff. So it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> right. I couldn't, I totally agree. You know, as I'm reading these, I think, okay, I kind of just think of myself and, and if I'm understanding correctly, like I, I think I've had moments where I've gained understanding of the universal laws, level six or level seven in existing phys- uh, uh, physically experiencing the different movements of a vortex. Do humans, can humans, according to your, your belief or what has been received unto you, do you believe that we could evolve to level six or seven, or is this just simply not where any human is at on this planet due to the laws of physics? No, I do believe there are many humans here who have been through many of these levels and they come back to maybe um, teach or guide or help uh, in transition. And I also think there are many, many animals who are, even though typically animal stage would be level two, I think there are many wise, wise animals who have been through so much and come back for the experience. That's, that's an interesting way of looking at it because usually most people will say that animals have evolved, they're lower. If you go on that sort of totem pole of evolution, they're not, they haven't yet spiritually matured up to the experience of being a human. So a human wouldn't go back to be an animal. That's just some people's beliefs. So yes, I would call that pure ego. <laughs> no, I, 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 exactly. I go, well, how do you know that? And right why maybe some people love being spirit animals some people love being a jaguar um, or souls i should say and uh, the other question is you know why 
why the number 12? Did you ever get a hit on that? I mean, 12 is a very auspicious number biblically. Right, right. And and even aside from biblically, it has to do with um, a mathematical sequence like twelve calendar um, months, or if we look at um, 12 hours in a day, if we look at how the number 12 works out mathematically, even if I look at... Um, I'm trying to think of some of the others, but the, it, it's it's really quite amazing how the mathematics that we experience here is no different from anything else in existence because you can't separate anything out. There really is no separation. Right. So what's going on in Mars or what's going on, if, and I'm putting this in air quotes, what's going on in heaven would right. be the same mathematics. Yeah, I hear that. Like 12 times 12 is 144. You break down 144, that's a 9369 Tesla mathematics. Right. Right. I think biblically 12 times 12 is 144. Then you think in the Bible, they talk about the 1,044, 144,000 light workers and triple three, triple zero is translated as um, a new beginning. So you got 144 add three zeros. Isn't that interesting? The card in tarot number zero is new beginning. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Fascinating. Yeah. And there are 21 cards in in tarot, uh, in major arcanas. Fascinating. Yeah, it all comes back to that sacred geometry and those mathematical patterns. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very cool. Well, let's talk about the human ego. And um, are we evolving eventually out of having an ego, do you you believe? You can't not. It, It is... What has been explained to me is that it is impossible for your soul not to evolve. And that even if it takes really long for some souls, it doesn't matter. You're still evolving. You can't not. And it's part of the patterning of the ego because the ego is so perfectly designed to keep you looking for love and acceptance and worth and value through everyone around you. And all that's going to do is catapult you into fear. And that fear is a catalyst for your change. So even if you think you're doing miserably, I'm an anxiety, depressed wreck. (laughs) It doesn't matter. That's actually part of your growth. Right, right. Yeah, you mentioned in your book, the human ego has three purposes to one, perpetually keep you looking for love outside yourself. Two, to keep you desperately seeking acceptance and approval from others. Hello, social media folks. Um, (laughs) Number three, to be seen as important and special through the eyes of others. Yeah. Yeah. And this again, because I think as someone who's studied a lot of psychology and and, uh, applied psychology, spiritual psychology, we always talk about the two main drives is for the ego is comfortability and familiarity. And I think it all kind of weaves in together we we want what's comfortable we want what's familiar and even if that which is familiar is trauma and duress and and the lack of loving we will seek what's familiar because the ego doesn't want you to grow so can i add to that though please yeah i would say that that is 50% of the population would feel that way Because those are, in the book, I talk about moving from a baby to an infant to young to mature to old soul. And the infants are all about conformity. They need conformity. They need familiarity. They do not like you to be outside the box. It makes them really um, unstable. Mm. 
So mm-hmm. I think that because 50% of the population at any given time is probably an infant soul, it's, it, it would make sense that that was a generalization that was made. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. Let's talk about shifting gears again. <laughs> how, mm-hmm. how is the pineal gland, according to your understanding, how is the pineal gland like a satellite? Uh, because it's a receiver. It's, it's a, an, an absolute receiver. It's also a sender. <clears throat> if we look at the actual pineal gland physically, it has a, a set of photoreceptors just like your eyeball does. And an eyeball works because it will receive light energy and it, these light energy have different frequencies. So the photos, photoreceptors will pick up different frequencies and send back an image. The same thing happens in the center of your head in the pineal gland. And there are five openings into that, the sides of your head at your temple. In between your eyebrows is the glabella fissure. That's an opening. Mm -hmm. The top of the head where your soft spot was, that's your anterior fontanelle. In the back of your head by your occipital ridge is called the, the posterior fontanelle. And these are all openings. So that what scientists explain are photons or points of light or information carriers can actually enter in. The pineal gland picks up the vibration or the frequency and can read it like an like a um, receiving messages or re- receiving an email. And you can do the same thing when you speak to source or if you're gonna speak telepathy, uh, with telepathy to an animal, there's a particular way to click into your head to actually communicate with animals using this satellite. You just explained how I do biofield healing six days a week. I love that. (laughs) And at a distance, mind you, I think more importantly, even more importantly, at a distance, like how the heck do I get these drop-ins? Well, it's a muscle, like you say in your book, we all have this receptor and it's just like you say, it's receiving and it's, it's pumping out information and you are, you can just kind of click in and get it through your, as my teacher would say, the male slot, she calls it the male slot, which I love. <laughs> and it's like that. It's, it's like, it just boop, drops in and it's, you, you get the signal, uh, in, in, in the plasmic, um, in the ether. So using a little, little bit of quantum entanglement to, um, to allow the communication to be present or the ability to influence. Yeah. How, how do you, um, how do you decipher, and this is probably a question that is a pretty popular question when people are sort of in their beginning stages of strengthening their intuition, their clairaudience, clairsentience, their clairs, and just working their, um, sort of next level, they're working their inner alchemy. How do you decipher between whether it is coming from higher self, from your God center, or from your ego? Yeah, if you're centered in the front of your head and you're in your frontal lobe, if you're thinking, if you're analyzing, if you're processing, it's not clairvoyance. That's your thought. If it's something that's received, if you're out of thought, if you're silent in your mind and you receive something just in your silence without thinking, that's clairvoyance. 
Mm -hmm. So one of the first things that I, when I train people in how to move into their clairvoyance, I always train them. The first thing you have to do is learn to get out of your head. Yeah. Well, you talk about in your book, how our bodies are actually operating like a computer, which I love. I can really relate to that. Do you want to go into that? Sure. You're, you, you know how I said that you can't separate out mathematics from anything that operates. Yeah. The, the world works on ones and zeros, just like the binary code of a computer. And actually, more intricately, it works on the quantum code. Your body works the same way. So if you think about how it is um, operating, you, when you are receiving your human conditioning in the calcination stage, the first stage of alchemy, you're getting conditioned by life. You are actually programming your body with a set of instructions. And it's a quantum instruction that is housed in your neurons. And you create these neural pathways of belief that stay that way. <laughs> so you've got this background programming. Scientists will actually, and, and psychologists will explain that 80 to 90% of what goes on within a human being is actually subconscious. Mm -hmm. And that's that programming that goes on just like the computer. And when you're going through all of these belief systems, you're going through chatter and you're going through feelings. You have three brains, your head brain, called the cephalic brain, your heart brain or your cardiac brain, and your gut brain, also known as your enteric brain. Your gut brain and your head brain send more signals to the heart than the heart sends out. That heartbeat that is very, very, it can be very random, is actually, imagine that it's sending out um, I'm going to use the ones and zeros because it's more familiar, but actually a quantum binary code mm -hmm. out into the world computer because the world works the same way as the computer on your desktop in not in specificity, but in generality. And so it's sending out this message to the world saying, hey, I haven't learned that I am perfect love yet. So mm -hmm. you're programming the computer and the world to actually work with the computer of your body to bring experiences, people, circumstances, situations to teach you what you need to learn. Mm -hmm. You know, so this whole computer, you're programming and receiving all the time. Yeah. It makes me think of how you mentioned in your book, how your guides have told you time and time again that you need to first work on your mental beliefs before you try to heal a broken emotional body. And uh, it, it's just like, we need to adjust our thinking. I think of Louise L. Hay, she, you know, that famous quote, she would say, um, uh, what was it? I do not fix my problems. I fix my thinking. And then the problems fix themselves. I would go deeper than that. I would say, yes, I'd like, I cannot convince someone that they need to heal themselves or forgive themselves unless I can mentally convince them of that first. Mm -hmm. Once I can teach them mentally, now we'll take it that step further. It does go further than the mental. I have to get in into the person, almost removing time and space. And I get into the person inside and we heal the younger selves who went through their pain and their wounding and their trauma and finding that they weren't good enough. Right. And it's only then that I see the, the changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I see so many parallels with your, your approach and, and, and biofield science. It really is a, an aspect or a, a, a um, sort of spoke 
of the process of healing the biofield because the biofield is timelined, it's stratified. And when we start to uh, unfurl and, and um, really decalcify these these knots in the field, these are the beliefs that become calcification. And then I think of your book where we talk about, you talk about the, the alchemic stages and stage one is calcination. And that's really step one. We want to get into those areas in our consciousness, in our timeline of life experience where things have gotten calcified and they've blocked the waters to our flow, to our empowerment, to our, all our soul attributes. Right. Do you, and it's so purposeful. And it's so purposeful. And that is key to, to remember, especially people that are listening and are new to this train of thought. It's, it's all purposeful because we need that in service to our growth and our upliftment. If we don't have something as a vehicle to, to utilize as, as the very means by which we will heal the, the curriculum, then we don't have anything to play off of. Right. Um, All of this pain and wounding is, and suffering actually has a purpose. That's right. That's right. Do you want to go into and touch upon any of the alchemic stages and how they're um, relevant to healing? Yeah, actually, you know, we talked already about calcination and about how it really is. It's like the phoenix who flies herself out into the desert to burn herself down into a white ash only so she can rise again. Well, this is the burning. You're getting burned by life. That's calcination. And you have to get enough burning and burning from lifetime to lifetime to lifetime until you're really ready to let it go. When you're ready to let it go, stage two, disillusion becomes very um, aware within you. And you start to go through dissolving all these false beliefs the ego told you was real, that you're not good enough, that you know, you're in pain and you're going to stay in pain and, and you, you can't be empowered or whatever it might be. And you go through a process of forgiving others and forgiving yourself and healing your younger selves. Mm -hmm. Move them into, sta into stage three, which is separation. And that's where you see the ego. And I tell people all the time, what you can see, you can heal. And when all of a sudden you see the ego, and I'll tell you, when I first saw mine, I was like, oh my God. I am a drama queen who's victimized and is always trying to control everything. Oh my God. Mm. <laughs> when you see it, you, you, you can't let it continue. So you separate or break apart from the ego. You see your habits and your behaviors and you're like, yeah, that's not happening anymore. Cause I, I know better now. Right. You mentioned in your book, your curriculum of your own victim story which I can really relate to. And, and I feel like we have shared a similar, similar victim story that I don't feel I run anymore. I have wonderful female friends and I have this incredible tribe of wise, incredible, powerful, spiritually potent women that are really rooted in their, in their loving and their self-discovery. And, um, and I didn't always have that. And I didn't grow up, per se, with that kind of being reflected to me, not necessarily by my mom, but just by certain fa family dynamics. 
And so it was hard for me to trust women because I always thought that they were kind of out to get me very similar to what you talk about the, the idea that um, you were drawing in manipulative people, particularly women who you thought who you would bring into your life and you believe would hurt you or, or treat you badly or betrayed you. How did you transmute that? The only way to transmute that is by looking within yourself and acknowledging the pain and the, ne the necessity of distrusting so that you can learn to trust. And the first one you learn to trust is yourself. And once you realize that, you realize that anyone who I personally brought into my life came in not really to hurt me, but to show me a different way within myself. Mm -hmm. it, it's almost like the, that computer that we're programming. I was putting out in the big world computer, I could be rejected. Well, that right. meant that all I could receive was rejection. And I had a charge around women because I had some hard experiences. I had three sisters. I had some hard experiences on the playground. And so these charges inside of me used women as the tool. Yeah, I and, can completely relate to that. Yeah, it wasn't personal. That's right. And when I can realize it wasn't personal, suddenly I have very much like you, we call ourselves the goddess, the goddesses. Mm -hmm. and, and they're just this amazing group of women who yep. came after I learned <laughs> that I couldn't be rejected. Right. I remember this moment a few years ago where I just was sitting in my living room and I was just, I got hit just by this, this voice, this sense that, God. I've got some amazing women in my life. And for a very, very long time, for most of my life, I'd say, oh God, I don't have any friends or, you know, God, I have the shittiest friends because, <laughs> you know, they'd be like, oh, Diane, can you help me with this? Or, you know, I we get married, I was getting married and the friends I used to have that a lot of them were kind of around my, me at that time. And they'd say, oh, I don't want to wear that as your, your bridesmaid. I'm going to wear green. I'm not going to wear that color. I'm like, well, whose wedding is it? <laughs> <laughs> right. You know? And then my husband was like, you have shitty friends. And I said, what do you mean? I have shitty friends. <laughs> and, and it was like, Oh, it's nobody's fault, but my own. It's how I'm treating myself and how I'm loving myself or lack thereof that I'm just attracting I'm the receiver. I'm radiating that. And I'm just getting that match back. Yeah. That's it. And can I say something to that? Yeah. I, I, I think, again, it's so important that we go through those moments of, of realizing that, wow, I don't treat myself well, but you have to appreciate it. Like yeah. I created this plaque that said Kelly Schwegel, and underneath it, I hung this sign that said Miss Needy. And then underneath that, I hung vicious victim. And underneath that, I put impossibly insecure. And I went and, you know, people would be like, well, that's not you now. And I'm like, no, it's still right. a part of me because it created me. Right. I don't, I don't at all feel bad about this. Right. Right. I wouldn't have the great tribe I have now if I didn't go through that. Yeah. Yeah. So, isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Yeah. It really I don't. Is. Yeah. Sorry. I don't yeah. want people to ever shame themselves because they've been through or, or, you know, thought terrible of themselves or got into such a, like, I, really, I was a drama queen and I, you can't shame yourself. You can't. Yeah. It's all purposeful. Well, you mentioned as well in your book, Kelly, 
how you had nine different physical ailments. Yeah. And I think you had a lot of surgery, if I recall as well. <laughs> how did you rearrange your physical body, spiritually, mentally, or emotionally to dissolve these conditions once and for all? Well, when you realize that your cells in every single cell, it breaks down into molecules. Your molecules break down into atoms. Your atoms inside of the proton and neutron are little points of light that actually contain your conscious thought. That's mm -hmm. that quantum entanglement understanding that, that goes on um, with quantum physics is to understand that you are nothing but your thought and you aren't solid, you're little points of light. And if that's my consciousness, I decided, well, then I'm going to find out what is causing all of these ailments that I have, and I'm going to heal the parts of me that are broken and the parts that I were birth defects with me. So for example, my hip, my right hip was reconstructed, my left hip, I actually was able to heal bone, um, misshapen bone, cartilage tissue that was torn and mangled and <laughs> a mess within three days, because I said, this is my thought. And I am going to molecularly create a new blueprint for myself. I have the x-rays <laughs> that are actually the MRI to show that my hip was a mess. I, that was when I was 45. I'm 54 now, and it's stronger than the hip that I had reconstructed. So what did you do? Did you go into a particular meditation? Did you go into a particular affirmation statement? Did you do a bunch of things? What was your process? There, there was a combination. And the, the first thing that has to happen is your belief. If you don't believe that you can do this, don't even try because it's not going to happen. So your belief has to be very strong that we are powerful as souls and that there is the only constraint to our physical matter is our belief. Once you understand that, then I did a series of this. I would get into meditation. I would see my hip as molecules and I would excuse the hip of the current molecular makeup or the blueprint that it was carrying. And I would ask my higher self to bring in a perfect healthy blueprint of a new hip. Mm -hmm. And I would every day say, that is my hip. That is my health. That is what I am. And I didn't doubt it. Anytime it hurt, I would send it so much love because it's changing the molecules by sending it love instead of hate. That's the, um, the uh, uh, power of intention. Yeah. What but I'm really hearing clearly is that there was also uh, the absence, as you say, of doubt. Whereas if we do this and then we just bring in doubt, it's like we start back at ground zero, we lose the momentum. Exactly. This is actually um, the quantum uh, understanding of the double split experiment. When something is observable, if there's a belief at attached to it, um, it's going to only have the outcome of the belief. But if there's nothing observing it, it's going to have a completely different outcome. And that's the same thing here. My observation that I had of my hip had to be that it was healed and healthy. If that wasn't the case, the only observation that I have is that it's broken. Mm -hmm. And it took you three days from where it was to where you felt it, felt yourself be out of pain? Yeah, three days. I also did myofascial release and Reiki. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. It can be done. You know, I think of, I think I mentioned this in an earlier podcast. I think of one, 
one particular spiritual teacher, Kryon, K-R-Y-O-N. If people want to look him up on YouTube, he's got some great videos. Just one on another great wayfarer on the planet. And he talks about how, you know, we're moving to the consciousness, folks, where we can grow limbs and we can grow back body parts. We just have to believe it. We just don't know it yet. Side note, I gave myself a breast job doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Works wonders. Forget plastic surgery. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Well, where do you feel, this is kind of a two-parter, where do you feel we are as a species for humanity? Where do you feel we are collectively right now? And I would also say, where do you feel we are collectively as it relates to the stages of alchemy? Mm-hmm. You know, our humanity changes and grows just like we do. It goes through a stage of alchemy, uh, the stages of alchemy, as well as the planet itself, as well as the universe itself. And so everything is always growing and evolving. Our human earth earth right now is moving into and is actually fully into the stage of separation where we are ready to separate from the ego we you're watching in the world right now that which is corrupt is now being seen so clearly you can't deny it what you can see you can heal but we have to let it uh we have to let it be seen we have to let it surface and so right now corruption is surfacing all over the planet mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And we're ready to move into conjunction where we're going to balance that masculine and feminine uh, energy that, that we need so bad. What do your guides specifically say about the purpose of this quote unquote pandemic? They said exactly what I just talked about, how right now everything is surfacing. And they said, you're in this, this experience where it always gets a little dark before the light, (laughs) the darkest before the dawn. And they said, right now, if you are going to heal as a humanity and make something different, you have to have it visible. You have to want to change. Right now, what's happening is that the desire for change is that we're really, we were just complacent. We were complacent all over our planet. And when we can see, and when everything is so evident There's no choice but to move and heal. So my guides have said this. They said, you have to be very cautious because everything that's going on outside of you is a distraction. It's a distraction from the work you need to do inside. So whether you're getting into conspiracy theory, political anger, whether you're getting into um, rights or anything that you do, they said, if you do it through anger, obsession, and distraction, you're not healing. They said, when you get into a place inside of you where you can, even if you're going to go to a rally, it's from a place of joy and love, knowing that this is all purposeful, then you're going to do some healing. Echoes the words of Mother Teresa. Really? I don't go to a rally against something. I will stand. I will march for peace. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. it's, It's all intention. Yeah. What do you know in your bones, in the depths of your soul that you really walk with every day now that's transformed your life that you didn't know before? 
that I am inseparable from God, that I am beautiful light, and that all of this that we are going through, there is nothing, nothing on this planet that can be done to this body or my mind that can ever take away my innocence, my playfulness, my joy. Hmm. Nothing has that power. Nothing. And then kind of a flip question to that for those that are listening and they're going, look, I, 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 I love being alive, but I, I'm very aware that we all have many lifetimes. I'm very aware that if I don't get it in this lifetime and get it in the next, but I'm really feeling kind of just bereft about moving on in this on this land that feels so contrast filled and dense and heavy. And I just go sometimes, what's the point? What do you say to those that are having that experience? Well, the first thing, if they're seeing that, then they're ready for some type of change. And when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Yeah, It's just the way it works. And so I asked them at that time, well, buckle your seatbelt. You just asked for a beautiful ride. Mm. Sometimes the despair has to be present. And I call that the big morass. It's like all of a sudden you're like, I can't do this anymore. I don't care anymore. I'm done. And if I don't change something, I'm going to be miserable like this the rest of my life. And that initiates change. Mm. Well, Kelly, Schwegel, yes. you have said it all. You are, you are my, you're my little spark of light. Who's not so little in spirit. Thank you for all this beautiful, all these beautiful downloads and wisdom and insight. Is there anything you want to leave our listeners to have them kind of stare at their ceiling fan and consider as they <laughs> yeah. meditate well, off into the sky? Before I say that, I do want to say a thank you back. It is people like you who can bring these things to the forefront and bring it out into the world that are changing the world. So thank you back. Thank you. The thing that I tell people is that if I can tell people two things, one thing is the true purpose of this life is forgiveness. The second thing that I would say is if you want to start a true change within yourself, get out of your head. If you can learn to quiet your thoughts, if you can learn to quiet your mind, if you can start to meditate, you are going to change exponentially. So the biggest, quickest way to initiate some change within self, try getting out of the head. Well said. It's not easy, but it's possible and we can all do it and it's worth it. So Absolutely. let's get going. Absolutely. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. If you like what you're hearing here, check out more by subscribing on your favorite platform or go to spiritualgeekout.com.